Well, last week we began a, a new series. Some of you were here for that. The series was entitled, or is entitled, I Was Made for This. And the purpose of the series is to help us to understand that there's, listen, no part of our lives outside the realm of Jesus' lordship. Did you get that? There's no part of the Christian's life that lies outside the lordship of Jesus Christ. That's true when we're here, it's true when we're at home, it's true when we're at work, it's true when we're at school, it's true when we're at, pray, at play, it's, it's true when we're out shopping. It doesn't really matter. There's no place in our lives that is untouched by the lordship of Jesus Christ. And we, we mentioned a couple of weeks ago a theme of following Jesus equals life. And what we mean by that is that the totality of our lives should be about following Jesus. And so each week we're going to consider an aspect of our lives and we're going to look at that and we're going to ask, how does my salvation, how does my new life in Christ, how does it impact, how does it affect each area? Last week we looked at work. And it's interesting, I, I can't cover it all. It is online if you want to go back and listen, but let me kind of give you in a nutshell what we tried to say about Jesus' lordship over our work. We said this, God's word calls us to do everything we do for the glory of God and to work with all our hearts as if we're doing what we do for the Lord himself. Now, this has been interesting. I would love to just be able to let you hear the stories of people who come up to me and said, I, I wish you hadn't preached that message last week. I wish you just left that alone because it's affected the things that I do at home. It's affected the way I act at work. And now I'm having to actually think about the Lordship of Jesus Christ over my life in the things that I do. And it's actually at our house kind of become a little funny because, you know, now fixing the bed is fixing Jesus' bed. Feeding the dog has become feeding Jesus' dog. So it's, you know, we're trying to take this and, and, and the good thing about it is by, by making, making a little bit light of it, no, not not you know, discounting it, but making a little light of it, it's actually a good reminder for us that that is exactly what we are doing. Now today, we want to look at what most people consider to be the opposite of work, which is rest. But I'm here to tell you that the opposite of work, they're not opposites. Work and rest aren't opposites. They're actually complements. They go together. There's a rhythm of life that includes our work and includes our rest and we need both of those. And we were made for both of those. And so that's where we're going to be today. And we're going to rush right into this because time is getting away. If you remember last week, we started in Genesis. Today, guess what? We're going to start back in Genesis because it's good for us to get this foundation of work and rest. In Genesis, we find both of those. In Genesis chapter 2, if you don't know where Genesis is and you've got your Bibles, it is the first book of the Bible. It should be shortly after your table of contents. You should find the book of Genesis, the second chapter. We're going to look at just the first three verses. They'll be on the screen. They're also printed in your handout. And so multiple ways that you can find those verses today. Here we go. It says this, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy 
because on it God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. If you read in chapter 1 of Genesis, you see the six days of creation and how God made everything out of nothing. Started with nothingness, ended up with everythingness, which I don't think is a word, but maybe I should coin that word. And if you've read through there, you know at the end of each day, God said about the creation, what did he say? It's good. He looked at it and he said, this is good. This is good at the end of each day. Then at the end of the sixth day of creation, after he had created man and woman in the garden, God not only said it's good, he said it's what? Very good. Okay, that's important. Let me tell you, the word good means that it's delightful or it's pleasing. And so the word very good would mean that it is abundantly pleasing. In other words, God, when he finished his creative work, stepped back and he was overjoyed at what he created. When he, in, when he saw the creation of the universe, he was overjoyed at what he saw. And then it said on the seventh day that God rested. Now we hear this and we go, well, wait a minute. He's God. Why would he rest? And I want to offer two suggestions as to why God rested on the seventh day. First of all, God rested to set a pattern for us. Now, when Jesus was baptized by John... He didn't, he didn't get baptized because he needed to be baptized. In part, he did it to set a pattern for us to follow. And in the same way, God didn't need to rest, but he set up a pattern for us to follow. Secondly, God did it in order to delight in what he had made. Some of you understand this, especially those of you who work with your hands and you craft things or you paint or you draw or you you build cabinetry or you lay floors or you mow yards or you stitch things and make clothing or make the beautiful quilts like our ladies do in the quilting ministry you understand there's a time you step back and you delight in what has been accomplished and so we understand and God gives us this this pattern of rest and this he stepped back to delight in it to rejoice in it to celebrate what had been created now those are the first six days God calls them good and very good but the seventh day is different the seventh day he calls it something else holy okay what what does holy mean Holy means that it was set apart for a purpose. God set that day apart from all other days to be different, to be special, to be holy. Pretty cool. Now let's fast forward. We go from the first book of the Bible to the second book of the Bible, Exodus chapter 20. And I want you to see something else here. Exodus chapter 20, we're going to look at verses 8 through 11, Exodus chapter 28 through 11. Again, it'll be on the screen. It's in your handout, but you can also open it up in your Bible. And here's what we read. Remember the Sabbath day. This is part of the Ten Commandments. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock, or the sojourner who is with, within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that's in them 
and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and he made it holy. Okay, here we go. Don't have a lot of time, so there's a lot in there, but let me just let me let me point out a couple of things that you need to note about this. The command is to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. To remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. When we come together next week to celebrate the Lord's Supper, what are we called to do? To remember. And, and just as we're going to do next week as we come together for that, that's, that's what God was calling his people to do. They were to remember who gave them this day. When we come together next week, guess what we're doing? We are to remember him who gave us that day, that celebration, that time to gather. They were to remember who gave it. But they were also to keep it holy. It was to be set apart. It was to be separate. It was to be different from all other days. Not just another ordinary day. So that's important for us to remember. Now, you may be saying, but wait a minute. That's Old Testament stuff. We don't still do the Sabbath thing. So for a follower of Jesus Christ, what's all this rest and Sabbath stuff got to do with us. So let's fast forward a little bit more and we're going to go all the way to the New Testament. We're going to go to the Gospel of Mark and we're going to look at the second chapter of Gospel of Mark. If you're unfamiliar with the New Testament, it begins with Matthew. Then the next book is Mark. We'll look in chapter 2. Mark chapter 2 beginning with verse 23 and this is what we read. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain, and the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the, in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and he ate of the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat? And also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man, referring to himself, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now we read this and we think, wait a minute, you're just picking a few heads of grain, rubbing them between your hands to get the grain out, get the chaff away, so you can munch on those, a, a little snack at best. What's the big deal? If you've been in church, then you may know this. If you haven't been in church, then you need to know this. For the Pharisees, for the observant Jews, the Sabbath was one of the, the big ones, one of the major observances. And they made a huge deal out of the Sabbath, especially the Pharisees who were the ones to confront Jesus. Now, the Ten Commandments, it simply said, you're not to work on the Sabbath. You're to remember the Sabbath. You're to keep it holy. You do no work on this day. But the, the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, took it upon themselves to say, you're not good enough, smart enough, wise enough. You don't have enough biblical knowledge to be able to figure that out on your own. And so we're going to help you. So we're going to get all this oral tradition. We're going to put it together. We're going to give you a commentary that tells you exactly what you need to do or avoid doing on the Sabbath day. 
and that, that little oral tradition gathered, that commentary gathered, is called the Jewish Talmud. And in the Jewish Talmud are 24 chapters on the Sabbath. Now, I, I, I could go through and list a lot of the a lot of the laws, a lot of the do's and don'ts. And those who've been to Israel and you've been there on the Sabbath, you may have noticed some differences that take place for the Orthodox Jews, at least, on the Sabbath. But also, we were out and about on the Sabbath day, so we also got to see that many secular Jews, they didn't take it that seriously anyway, and they were going about and doing what they wanted to do. But for the Orthodox Jews in our time, and for the Pharisees in that time, the Sabbath was a huge, huge deal. And Jesus makes two bold statements that we need to hear about the Sabbath. The first one was this. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was to serve people. People weren't to serve the Sabbath. And by adding up all that, creating that new rule book, the Pharisees became referees and they were the only one who could understand the rule book. And there were so many Sabbath laws that even the, the best of Jewish people would have a hard time obeying them all. There was just an overwhelming magnitude of laws that had been stacked upon the Sabbath law. And it got to be in many times ridiculous. And Jesus says that was not God's intent when he created, set apart the Sabbath. He gave the Sabbath as a blessing to people six days you work with all your heart and after the fall that work became difficult it became hard i i, I read a, a little quote the other day that says the hard part about milking cows is they don't stay milked am i right okay that hey listen it's the drudgery of life it's that ongoing repetitious stuff that you have to do six days work but on the seventh God said that's a Sabbath on the seventh day you rest it was not intended to be a burden but a blessing and the second thing that statement that Jesus makes out of this is that he himself is Lord of the Sabbath <laughs> and this is a strange thing he is indeed Lord of the Sabbath. It is, it is Jesus himself who set up the Sabbath for people. And yet it was the Pharisees that were telling Jesus how it ought to be observed. Who had the authority to say what could and couldn't be done on the Sabbath? Hey, listen, if anybody had it, it's the Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus himself. But it goes beyond that. He not only has the authority to say what the Sabbath is and isn't, Jesus came to fulfill the Sabbath. What we discover is every ceremonial, every ritual law that we find in the Old Testament pointed to Jesus. Pointed to Jesus. And Jesus came to fulfill it all. Jesus came to say, you know what? I am your rest. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened down, and I will give you rest. Jesus came to fulfill that law. And what Jesus was saying was, from this point on, things are changing. No longer will people have to 
to please God, attempt to please God by obeying all these rituals and, and rules and, and all these things that you have set up and stacked up on top of the Sabbath law. No, 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 no. I've done all that. And now I come to offer you rest. Jesus declared himself to be the Lord of the Sabbath. So then, how should we, as followers of Jesus Christ, what should we do with this? Okay, now let's bring it down to where we live. What do we do with this? And let me make a few comments, and some of this is in your handout. There's some blanks there if you want to fill them out. The first thing I want to say, and this is just information more than anything else, is you need to know that the Sabbath was Saturday, not Sunday. Some of you are shocked at that. You always thought, hey, the Sabbath is Sunday. Sabbath was not Sunday. Sabbath was Saturday. Remember, six days you will work. The week started on Sunday. It ended on Friday. Saturday was the day of rest. And you'll note that uh, if, if there are observant Jews, then the Sabbath is the day that they have set apart. So you may go, well, wait a minute. What changed? What changed was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus was resurrected on, the, on a Sunday, and that became for the believers the Lord's day. And that was, became the day that was set apart for believers for worship and reflection and rest. And so we, that's just information. That's something in case you didn't know it, you now know it. The second thing we need to note is this, that Christians are no longer required to follow the Sabbath laws. All, As I said, all the sacrificial, all the ceremonial laws were all fulfilled by Jesus himself. We are no longer under that. So if you go today, at, well, by coming here, do you know what? You would have broken the Sabbath laws. You traveled too far. You cr- who cranked a car this morning? Anybody crank a car? Okay, according to Jewish law, you started a fire. I mean, because of ignition, you've cranked it up. Therefore, you've broken the Sabbath law. So I'm here to tell you, you are absolved of all that today. Don't you feel much better? So if you go out and eat today or you go home and cook a meal, you're absolved of that. You don't have to follow these Sabbath laws. They're not there to force you to follow them. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The third thing to note is that the Sabbath observance points the believer, us, to a greater rest. Just write this down and you can look it up later. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 9, Colossians chapter 2 verses 16 and 17. I'll repeat it. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 9, Colossians chapter 2 verses 16 and 17. They basically tell us that we are, look, the Sabbath gave us a picture of, of rest that was to come for us. Do you realize you've seen the tombstones with the RIP rest in peace? People understood for centuries and centuries and centuries how difficult life was here on this earth and they looked forward to a time of rest. Some of you have had family members who suffered terribly in their latter years before they left this earth. And you look at them and now you say they are at rest. Their labor here, their trials here, their suffering here is over. They are finally at rest. And so the Sabbath points us forward. There is a rest that is coming for all of us. And finally, the Sabbath as a law is not binding on us. But listen, 
the principle behind it is worthy of our observance. To set apart a day for rest, for reflection, for worship. That is worthy of our consideration. You see, the Sabbath sets a rhythm for our lives. Work and rest. And both are needed. Not only will pastors tell you this, not only will theologians tell you this, but physicians will tell you this. Psychiatrists will tell you this. Hey, your mama will tell you this. Remember, you need to get your rest. When you were going as hard as you could go, you need to slow down. You need to take it easy. You need to get your rest. There's a rhythm in life. What started out as a command, listen, it's an invitation now. Come and rest. God invites you to slow down. And sometimes God invites you to actually stop. To be still and know that I am God. And those who treat the Lord's Day, Sunday, like any other day, rarely find rest and reflection on who God is and all that they have done, He has done for them. God invites you to look back and to celebrate all He's done and rejoice with Him over those good things, but He invites you to look forward and hope to a rest that is to come. He invites you to join Him in rest and to simply rest in Him. And He invites you to share that experience with others. To come together, to celebrate, to look forward, to rejoice, to reflect, and to rest. The Sabbath is a time to remember, listen, that you live in a story. And you're not the only character. And you're not the main character. One of the greatest blessings of Sabbath, of rest, is a reminder that you're in a bigger story. That the world does not resolve, revolve around you. That there's more to your life than the busyness. There's more than the packed schedule. There's more than your overflowing to-do list and your overflowing laundry baskets. God's here to remind you it's okay to rest. You were made for rest and you were made to rest just as surely as you were made for work. Now I want to pause here because I know what you're saying is, Pastor, that all sounds good, but it's wholly unrealistic. You don't know my life. You don't know the demands I have on myself. I'm a single mom. I'm a single dad. I've got aging parents that I'm looking after. My life is completely swamped. There's things coming at me from every different direction. You simply, pastor, don't understand. And I'll say two things to that. Number one is you're right. I do not understand your circumstances. I won't pretend to understand your circumstances. And number two, you have no clue what my circumstances are either. 
Because when I'm speaking to you, I'm also speaking to myself. I can promise you if there's anyone who needs to listen to what I'm saying this morning, it's Jimmy Long. It's hard for me to shut it down. It's hard for me to slow it down. It is ministry, like many of your jobs, many of your careers, can be a consuming thing. And yet, in the midst of that, there is a voice calling to you, come to me. Yes, you, you who are weary, you who are burdened down, come to me, and I will give you rest. And so let me offer, as we close, a few practical tips, and I'll go through these very, very quickly, that may help. When it's time to work, work diligently. In other words, when you work at it, work at it with all your heart. Give it your best effort when the work time is there so that it can prepare you for rest time. If you kind of lollygag around and put things off, then it's going to end up piling on you and just sucking up all your rest. The second, and this is, this is closely akin to this, whenever possible, finish the task rather than leaving it with loose ends this is one of the things you have to learn sometimes that extra five to ten minutes on the end of a task when you're tired will save you an hour or more when you try to come back to it and get back into it the next day finish the drill third and i i I could preach on this plan saturday for sunday plan saturday night for sunday What do I mean by that? What I mean is is real simple. Prepare yourself spiritually for Sunday. Prepare yourself physically for Sunday. Anybody know the mad scramble of Sunday mornings at your place? Okay. (laughs) Okay. First of all, if you stay up till 2 or 3 in the morning on Saturday night, do not expect to be at your best on Sunday morning. It just ain't going to happen. So find a different time to stream Netflix. Find a different time to play video games with your buddies. Find a different time to do those kinds of things. I mean, uh, Michael was telling me he, he watched all 18, or well, almost all 18 innings. He went to bed just before it was over the other night for the baseball game. You do things like that on Saturday night, you've got no energy. Find your Bible. Find your car keys. Get your clothes out. If you have to iron a shirt, you could go, oh, I can iron a shirt tomorrow. No, get it ironed today. Do everything you can on Saturday to get ready for Sunday morning because I can promise you this, Satan's doing that. He's getting ready for you on Sunday morning because what he wants to do is trip you up, knot you up, beat you up on Sunday morning and keep you from gathering with God's people for worship and enjoying the experience and finding rest do everything you can on saturday to get ready for sunday uh and run through these consider a note consider no technology zones or no technology times in your life if you find out that those gadgets are sucking up a lot of your time then then consider saying you know what dinner time or driving time or whatever time it is we're going to talk or we're going to go for a walk we're going to do something else other than have be, be constantly interrupted by technology. Expect interruptions. 
They're going to happen, but don't let them keep you from rest. And then I want to I want to land the plane with this because I couldn't find a place to put these two quotes in in the message, but I wasn't going to leave them out. The first one is this: like a path through the forest, Sabbath creates markers for ourselves. So if we're lost, we can find our way back to the center. Sabbath is that marker that says it is here where I come to know God and experience God and find rest in Him. And I need to keep coming back to that marker to give me a center. And the second one is this. Sabbath is that uncluttered time and space in which we can distance ourselves from our activities enough to see what God is doing. In the midst of life's whirlwind, it's difficult to see what God is up to. But when we find that time to pull apart, to set the time aside, to make it special and holy, it gives us a different kind of perspective. So what I'm trying to say is this, Sabbath is not so much about a day. Not at all. It's about a reorientation of our lives to get in rhythm with the God who created us. Let's pray. Father, this is hard for some of us to hear. Type A's, workaholics, those who are just busy. And Lord, those who might have to admit today that they are overworked and overwhelmed because other parts of their lives are completely in disarray. And they're, quite frankly, lazy from time to time. But Lord, for us to value rest, the rest you created us to have, Lord, it means we have to work the rest of the time with all our hearts, giving it our best effort as if we're working for you so that we can set apart this time. So Lord, teach us to value this time. Teach us to value rest, not only for our bodies, not only for our minds, but for our spirits and for our families and for our community and for our church. Lord, there are so many people who burn the candle at both ends. And we hear successful people saying that they would rather burn out than rust out as if those were the only two options. It's not. Lord, you've created us for this rhythm of life. And we've lived as if that rhythm is completely unimportant to us. And so, Lord, today we want to hear your call. And try to get our lives back in line with your rhythm. Lord, there are some for whom this message may have seemed really weird. This whole idea about Jesus having Lord over every part of life just seems odd and out of place. And I I pray, Lord, if something that was said or sung or spoken or prayed in some way, Lord, has touched the heart of someone who needs this Jesus who comes to be Savior and Lord, then, Lord, I pray today you would draw them to yourself. Lord, if there are those who need a church, a place that can support them, encourage them, and help hold them accountable as they seek to follow Jesus, Lord, if this is the place where you're calling them to come, then bring them to yourself. And Lord, if there are those who simply need to pray, Lord, I pray that this would be their time to start anew, to start afresh, 
and to find that your mercy is new every morning. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.